0: This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. We return now to our occasional series called Apparently, where KEXP's Rachel Stevens and Evie Stokes, who are new mothers, talk with musicians and artists who are juggling parenthood.
1: Hey, Evie. Hi, Rachel. How's it going? Going pretty great. I feel like I say that every time, but it really is. It's going great. Yay. It's beautiful outside. Oh, my Not so my, pretty. And my child has been bathed. Is she currently being bathed? She is currently being bathed. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. she, she's well, about God. to be bathed. She's halfway bathed. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. How's Marcy doing? She's great. She's doing wonderful. She also is bathed, so nice. Like both of us are just basically winning momming right now. <laughs> I, know, I was gonna say winning. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so excited that apparently is back. I am very excited too. I'm very yeah. excited. And I'm and I'm really excited about this this episode. It was a really great conversation. I talked to Jess Moni. So she's a local artist here in Seattle. Um she does a ton. But sort of first and foremost, she consir- considers herself a mother. She got pregnant when she was sixteen years old. She's a musician. She makes great, like, R&B music. She's um, part of a DJ collective that's a Black and queer DJ collective. It's called Sway and Swoon. And um, Stas the Boss, who yeah. used to be on Street Sounds, is a part of it. And so is Yadi, who is now on Street Sounds. They're both a part of this collective. She's involved in Black Constellation. And she's an education director of an arts organization that's called Creative Justice. Wow. Um, yeah I know He's doing a lot awesome. I know have you heard of creative justice? No, I haven't. I've heard of the other two, but I haven't heard of creative justice. here is what she said about it.
2: We are an arts organization that is not a um diversion program but rather an alternative to youth incarceration. So thinking about building different infrastructures and dismantling systems, right, um, to provide resources and space for young people to envision themselves as creative artists or to just offer them opportunities to make art. Uh, And I try to not only be a light, but be a resource in the ways that I can to really preserve culture, um, preserve history and to share it. That's rad. Very
1: cool. She's doing a lot. She's all over it. Cool. Like, so what is Moni doing with her music these days? You know, actually, um, we we're talking to just Moni now because of a recent spoken word piece she did. It's a, a letter to her son that she wrote as a poem really for Wing Luke Museum mm. It's really beautiful. Also excited for people to hear that. And um, I asked her about her music and where she gets her musical
2: inspiration from. My mother is Cambodian and my father is Black American. And what's happening right now within my music is that I'm really exploring more of where my voice naturally sits, which is in a pentatonic scale and it feels really natural and I think that at, for a person like me who makes like R&B and soul um, music, you can get kind of caught up in the way that everybody else sounds. and. I think that I'm just becoming more comfortable in pulling from those ancestral like practices, pulling from those ancestral scales to really explore what my voice can do and how it can sit within a song. <laughs> When I when I go into a space of making music, I'm really I'm asking my ancestors, I'm asking the universe, I'm asking different things to work through me and work out things through me, and just letting my body be the vessel for that. How has
1: being a parent affected your music and the art that you do?
2: Well, I think that it gives it purpose for me. I know that the things that I'm making, I'm not only making for myself, I'm making it for I'm making it to live in a body of work that will ultimately impact my son. I could have easily at 16 had my kid and been like I'm just, I don't know, gonna do the regular mom thing and just like focus solely on being a parent and, you know, not pursue music, not pursue my career in the arts. I could have done all of that. But what he does when I look at him and I wake up every day to this kid, it's like, nah, you got to realize your purpose and you got to get it. You know, like Mm -hmm. for me, for me, it just, it gives me It gives me so much purpose in why I move the way that I do because I recognize that I'm leaving legacy. I'm building legacy. And I literally have a person attached to me who thrives from that um, and who is also like helping me build that. So my career is not my career alone. You know, like my son Ezekiel being in my life um, gives me power and purpose to continue making continue being you know being the example to show my kid like there are no limits son Mm -hmm. yeah that's beautiful
1: (laughs) (laughs) so you recently created a spoken word piece for your son that I want to play a clip of but before I do do you want to set it up for us like what is it about and what inspired it
2: In recollection of our becoming, Wing Luke asked me to be a part of their, Wing Luke Museum in Seattle asked me to be a part of their annual auction. And at first it was just going to be a performance piece of one of my songs. And ultimately it evolved into writing this letter to my son, which felt really on time especially like digging into myself and recognizing my own traumas and realizing all the ways that that's affecting my parenting and I wanted to to touch on themes without being super uh, super explicit around what the experience has been like for me to be black and asian I wanted to lay out what continuum really looks like and what that looks like in our lives so when I talk about the things that he will know are the things because I knew through my blood's memory, right Like there were lessons that I was that I was taught and that I learned not through some direct experience, but rather because of my lineage um, because of my blood's memory, because of the things that I carry in my body genetically that I have had to come to discover on my own. so that that was important for me to lay out. My blood's memory had known genocide and escape. It had already known refugee camp and carcass and gunfire execution. My body at 16 had already been an ocean with a body count. This
1: piece that you did, this letter again, you you talk about historical trauma and uh, a line that really stuck out was, my body at 16 had already been an ocean with a body count. Can you unpack that for me a little bit?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So as Black people, we know that our bodies, and I'm sure as for all people, but I can only speak from my Black experience, um, you know, our bodies carry memory. In our blood, it carries memory. There's things that we are navigating right now in this day and time that our ancestors had experienced or experienced to some degree Many, 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 many years ago. So when I talk about my my body being an ocean with a body count, I'm like very specifically talking about the middle passage in that moment. You know, I come from black slaves who were brought over here without choice who I'm part of a lineage of people who have literally died in the oceans, whether they took their own lives because they knew they did not want to be enslaved or they were tossed overboard, you know? And so I think about paying honor and reverence to all of those lives lost and also all of those lives, lives lived, you know, um, that are part of my lineage. I think a lot of that piece is a lot about just blood's memory, The things that come to us in our visions, the things that come to us when we're being creative, when we're making new work, is really, and honestly, like, remembrance for me. Mm.
1: How do you talk to your son about what's going on in the world right now when it comes to Black lives?
2: Mm. Well... You know, I don't think that it's a singular conversation. I think that every day we wake up Black and every day we have to go into the world and we are Black, right? So it's, a, it's not, oh, hey, son, let's sit down and let's talk about this other Black person that got killed. It's, explain, it's talking to my son about the systems that we live in that make it possible for Black people to continue being murdered at the hands of police, the hands of state violence, why our communities look the way that they do, right? Like, we are we are constantly in conversation of exploring those topics. And, you know, when mom's sitting here crying because I'm so exhausted, you know, because I'm so tired, because I'm so sad and upset at what is happening in the world to Black bodies, that has always been happening in the world to Black bodies, he's consoling in that way, and we'll talk about it but it's it's never it's a continuous conversation i also think what's really important to know is that my son knows that he's free right and so our perspective of our black existence is not rooted in black people dying it's rooted in black people being free and so that's how we gauge everything so i am always imparting um to my son that you know you're free You're you're so free. Your mind, your mind, your spirit, your body is free. And this whole world will tell you that you're not. I promise you that it will. But if you remember, if you remember that your mind is free, that your spirit is free, anything that happens within this flesh really don't matter. You know, Mm -hmm. so that's that's the conversation that we're having.
1: What are your hopes for your son?
2: Yeah, I hope that he makes it to become a thriving adult. Yeah, I hope that he doesn't get killed by a police officer <laughs> or a crazy white nationalist or somebody who is just into their shit with white supremacy. Like, I hope that my kid, like every single day that I send my child out into the world, I have to hope that he's going to come back to me. Mm-hmm. And that's my hope. Can you live? Can you live and be a thriving person? Can you know what it feels like to to thrive and like not only survive my My only hopes is that I am teaching him how to navigate this world without violence and that he gets to make it back home to me to his loved ones every single day
1: he, your son his name is Ezekiel he's eleven now, right
2: Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: tell me a little bit
2: more about your son he is strong he's resilient he's creative artistic in ways that even I am not I'm not a visual artist at all I don't work well with my hands in this current moment it's not part of my practices for real and easy is like let's paint let's uh sew a bucket hat let's you know, (laughs) to do do hella visual things, right? Like he, he plays the trumpet, Um, you know, he is just a, just a light, you know, and like full, full of perspective and wisdom. And he's just been around this thing way before any of us, I feel like, right? Like, I feel like he's just making his time around again, this time as my son, Just beautiful and black and like unafraid, you know, and a risk taker and just fills up space, takes up the space that he wants to in the world.
1: I have one more question on this piece, Mm -hmm. this letter that you wrote. Another line that I really loved was joy and pain
2: are not mutually exclusive. It is hard to accept that two things can exist at the same time and be true. That joy and pain are not mutually exclusive. I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about that. Joy and pain not being mutually exclusive is that all of these things can exist at the same time and they can all be happening at the same time. Just because I was just because I made the decision, a wonderful decision to have my son at 16 doesn't mean that that wasn't painful for me. It doesn't mean that I didn't know that at 16 I could not be a child anymore. You know, or so society told me, I would immediately have to become an adult and assume what, and assume the responsibilities and the stresses of what being an adult means, you know. and But it doesn't mean that that wasn't the happiest moment in my life. You know, it's just accepting. It's just accepting that all of these things can exist at one time and they can all be true.
1: So I've been speaking with Jess Moni. And I'm so appreciative of your time, Moni. It's been lovely to talk to you. I thank you for taking the time to, to speak with us today.
2: Thanks, Evie. I always have a good time at KEXP. I love y'all. I know you love me, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and here is just Moni's spoken word piece, a letter she wrote to her son. We'll play it in full. It's called A Recollection of Our Becoming.
2: My heart in human form sounds cliche, but it is the actual truth. You are my awakening. I experience you as an opportunity to redeem myself for any karma that may return and make itself back around for any wrongdoing I've done in this life or in past ones. You are human in form. Child of my flesh, my bone, but you are a spiritual experience. I sense that you have been here. In this dimension, traveling long before I've known this place this time, I am humbled to have a master teacher. I sit alongside you in gratitude. Life's most endearing lesson with a never-ending well of tenderness and an intimacy I didn't feel possible until I came to learn you. But I wonder if they just refused to see me. To acknowledge that life had already done to me with no baby would change. That trauma lived in this body. That it had known war before I decided to lay, before I decided to keep you. My blood's memory had known genocide and escape. It had already known refugee camp and carcass and gunfire, execution, my body at 16 had already been an ocean with a body count. Bodies who claimed resistance and had taken back their consent. My body was already home to chain and steel rods, making their way without my consent. It had felt Delta and Mekong and Indiana and in Seattle police and US military, a home made small into Thailand, Laos, and Vietnam, a home pillaged and skinned with a deficiency of sun. Sometimes it is hard to accept that two things can exist at the same time and be true, that joy and pain are not mutually exclusive, that our experiences have made us but do not predetermine what it is that we are becoming This body at 16, now at 28, until forever, until I am done deciding what it is I am becoming. For all of your days, while you are growing and shifting, changing your mind and grounding yourself in your personal convictions. You will know trans people murdered and blood left on street corners, on playgrounds. You will know abusive relationships, both personal and political. Jungle will be familiar to you, the one of concrete and the one that is lush. But you will also know triumph, exaltation, forgiveness, jazz, Angkor Wat, Catfish, Khmer Store, your own language, our love languages paintings that adorn your ribcage.
0: That was just Moni with her spoken word piece, A Recollection of Our Becoming. Coming up next time on Apparently, we'll talk with musician Kristen Hirsch, who has just written a book about motherhood and how toxic the music industry is. Then
2: when you factor in what is asked of women, we all know what it is. It is horribly shallow and offensive and not harmless. You have a daughter and... I don't want her to grow up seeing those images and feeling that that is the cultural win and that in order to play music, you have to do that.
0: That's next time on Sound & Vision. Thanks for listening today. And if you like what you hear, please do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you have the means, please consider a one-time $20 donation to support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.